You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. All right, y'all, I know it's been a hot minute, but I just just wanted to make sure. Y'all still cool with God's word, right? Like. <laughs> Okay, I knew the answer, but I just wanted to make sure. I've got a word for you guys tonight. It, tonight is the first message in our vision series for 2023 called With Boldness. With Boldness. Every year, every year here at New Song Students, what we do is we start off the year with a vision series. What does that mean? Well, it means we ask God, where are you taking us this year? Where are you taking us? What's the goal that we need to be focusing on this year? And last year, as I was praying about the vision for this year, asking God, hey, God, where do you want to take New Song students? He actually reminded me of a time in my life when following Jesus was scary, when it was scary to follow Jesus. It might not have been scary for other people to do what I was doing, but for me, it was scary. And I'll get into that story in just a little bit, but it was during that time of my life where God kind of opened my eyes to a scripture that has been a really formative passage of scripture in my life. And the context of this passage is there are people, his disciples, the early church, who are following Jesus and they're doing it in a time when it was scary. Somebody say scary. It was scary. And it was actually in that very moment of struggle, it was in that very moment of being oppressed and persecuted that the all-powerful, all-loving God of the universe was like, cool, I'm gonna step in. And he did what only he could do and something amazing happened. In fact, everything changed. The world got turned upside down on its head. The church of Jesus Christ was born. And so I wanna look at this story tonight as we kick off this series. So get out whatever you need to do to lean in with me for the next few moments. Do whatever you gotta do to get your mind in the zone. Don't be distracted. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. You want to hear God tonight. Do you want to hear God tonight? Let's hear God tonight. Acts chapter four, starting in verse 29. What I'm about to read to you is the early church disciples praying a prayer to God. They're in the middle of persecution. And this is what they say. It says, and now Lord, look uh, look upon the threats of your people and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all, what word is that? With all, Boldness. Somebody's awake tonight. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your name for the, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31, and when they prayed, somebody say when they prayed. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and, the, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now time out, this is not Pentecost. This is actually two chapters after Pentecost. So they're experiencing Pentecost again. It says they're being filled with the Holy Spirit again. And then look at this. And they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. With boldness. That's right, with boldness. That's our vision this year. And if you're taking notes tonight, the title of my message is Do It Scared. Do it scared. Do it scared. Let's pray real quick, and then we're going to jump into this message. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for another year of getting to do ministry, partnering with you hand in hand to see your kingdom come, 
your will be done in our schools, in our families, in this room, in this church, as it is in heaven. And God, we want to partner with you, but we know, we recognize that's gonna take our yes, that's gonna take some boldness. And so this year, God, as we look into the future, we are gonna be a people who say yes, but all we ask in return is that you would give us your boldness. We need your boldness. We crave it, we ask for it tonight. Open our eyes to hear this word in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Cool. Okay, so it's 2013 and I'm sitting in my seat of, I'm sitting in the seat of a giant auditorium filled with over 3,000 people at Gateway Church and it was at a service that they used to do once a month called Habitation. Now, Gateway did these services called Habitation and it was kind of like the equivalent of like a landmark assembly here. Who's ever been to a landmark assembly at New Song Church? So that's kind of what this service was like. It's different than your average typical weekend service. You know, the worship is a little bit longer. The messages are a little bit longer. For some reason, it feels like the presence of God is like turned up a couple notches. And then there's always crying involved, right? There's always a little bit of extra tears on these nights. And I remember in high school, always looking forward to these nights because they were different. But I was really looking forward to this one in particular because just two months earlier, I had given my life to Jesus. And so I was fresh baby Christian, passionate for God, wanting to serve him. And I'm sitting in this massive auditorium with over 3000 people in it. And what we're doing on this particular night is this thing called presbytery. Now, if you've never been a part of that, basically what that is, is instead of uh, having a pastor come up during the message and preach a 45 minute message to the congregation, what they had happening was there was like five chairs up on the platform. And Gateway had like five of the highest leaders and elders in the church sitting in these five chairs on the, on the platform. And some of these guys had like legal pads on their lap and there's just like notes scribbled all over them. And what happened in the service is one by one, each one of these guys would stand up to the front of the platform. They would point out some random person in the auditorium that God told them to deliver a word to they would deliver that word to that person. Everybody would praise God and we'd be like, oh, that was crazy. And then they'd sit down and then the next person would come up and they would deliver another word. It was pretty cool. And this is how it worked. It was just, they prayed, whoever God laid on their hearts, whoever God highlighted, they would share that word with them and then they'd sit down. And so I'm sitting in this service and these pastors are one by one going up, pointing out a random person in the crowd delivering a prophetic word, that person would like start to cry or laugh or do something that made everybody else in the room know like, holy crap, that was God. That was God talking to them. And then we would all praise God and they'd sit down and they'd go into the next person. And so these nights were amazing. It was like, it was like you could reach out and you could touch faith. It was like faith became tangible. God, God became so real in these services. You could not deny his existence. And I'm sitting next to my mom during this night and we're both like falling out of our chairs because we're, we're so into what's happening right now. It's just so crazy. And then one of my favorite pastors, uh, who is still one of my favorite pastors, his name's Tim Ross. Anybody know about Tim Ross? Tim Ross, is, Tim Ross is really cool. So Tim Ross, he gets up from his seat, he walks up to the front of the auditorium and he just points right at me. And he says, you, 
and I was like, I was like, whoa, that's really crazy. It looks like he's really talking to me. <laughs> and so like, I looked to the person next to me. I'm like, why aren't you standing up? And I looked to the person behind me. and I'm like, who's not standing up right now? You need to stand up. And I look back and Tim Ross is staring right into my soul. And he's like, no, 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 you. And I'm like, oh, and my heart just sank. <laughs> my heart just sank. And I'm like a super, super shy, timid kid at this moment. And so I'm like, okay. So I stand up in front of 3,000 people. And Tim Ross looks at me and he says, I got a word for you. What's your name? And I'm like, Jackson. He's like, all right, Jackson, I got a word for you. The word God gave me for you is actually on your t-shirt, and it says Dynasty. I was wearing this shirt. It was an old Christian hardcore band called Dynasty, and I felt so cool in that shirt, so I was like, yes. He liked the shirt, but he goes on to say, hey, Jackson, the definition of Dynasty is a succession of people from the same family who play a prominent role in business, politics, or another field. He said, Jackson, you're a leader, and people will follow you. In fact, people would follow you off a cliff if you led them. So steward your leadership well, because God is going to start a family through you that's going to bless the next generation. So I get this word and I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> and I sit down and I'm like totally in shock at this moment. And I'm also feeling like really like seen by God. I'm like, wow, God gave me a word. That's crazy. God picked me out of 3,000 people. That's crazy. But then really quickly, I start to think, that was, that's the wrong word. Dude, Tim Ross, you got that wrong, bro. I'm not a leader. I'm not bold. I don't do stuff like start families that bless generations. <laughs> like, that's not me. And for the next four years of my life, I'm telling you, I wrestled with, what God said about me through that word and who I thought I was and what I thought I was capable of doing for God. And so it was funny, like right after that word, God kept giving me things that I did not want. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you before? God keeps giving me things that I did not want that were outside of my comfort zone. He was like, hey, Jackson, I want you to lead this group of people. Hey, Jackson, I want you to preach at your youth group. I don't want to do that. That's too bad. Jackson, I want you to serve in kids ministry. I want you to teach kids. I don't want to do that. That's too bad, Jackson. Like he just kept giving me things that I didn't want to do. And then fast forward to 2018. I'm now the student pastor here at New Song Church. And I've probably only been here for a month now at this point. And on this particular uh, Sunday morning in March, I found this in my notes today. Um, Pastor David Terry invited me to share a little mini message in between worship songs. You know how sometimes people come up here and they'll share a little, little mini talk in between two worship songs? Yeah. We used to do that a lot at New Song. And so David asked me to do that, and I really didn't want to. In fact, just thinking about talking in front of a couple people like made me want to pee my pants. But I was like, I mean, I'm getting paid to do this, so I kind of have to do it. Like, I'm forced to do it. So I'm feeling so scared in this particular Sunday morning. Like my heart is beating out of my chest. It feels like there's rocks in my stomach, but like Sunday morning showed up. And so this particular Sunday morning comes, the worship song goes, it's my time to shine. I go up there. I give this little mini message on Acts chapter 10, which is the story of Peter having that vision of the sheet coming down with the animals on it. You remember that story? 
And it was a cool little mini message. It was like, hey, God broke out of Peter's box. What box are you putting God in? And I was like encouraging the church and we prayed out. It was all great. But then I realized when I was done, I have to do that again because we have two services. And you mean I have to like, I just mustered up so much courage to do that. You mean I got to do that again in 30 minutes? And I was so nervous. And so I'm sitting in the green room, which was just this little tiny kitchen. It was like this big in Noah's event venue. And I could tell that Pastor Josh could tell that I was nervous. So Pastor Josh comes up to me and he encourages me. He's like, dude, you got this, bro. He gives me a couple of pointers. And then he says this phrase to me that I've never forgotten. It's like, it's just never left me. And he's like, Jackson, just be bold. Just be bold. Do it with boldness. Just be bold. And I looked at Pastor Josh and I said this in my mind. I didn't tell it to him, but I was like, Pastor Josh, I can't just be bold. <laughs> like, I can't just be bold. That's not me. But I didn't say that. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, be bold. So I go up there. I be bold. I do it. I do the thing. But then the next week, I read this passage in Acts chapter 4 about the disciples doing something scary, doing something that scared them. But then God showed up. And he helped them. He blessed them with something that they didn't have before. And this is what the Lord reminded me of as I was thinking about where he's taking us this year. And so tonight, I want to just answer three simple questions with you as we kick off this series. I want to talk about what is boldness. I want to talk about who it's for. And I want to talk about what boldness is for. What it is, who it's for, and what it's all about. So y'all ready for this? Is anybody in the house ready for this? Okay, if you're taking notes, write this down. Boldness, what does it mean? Well, the Greek word boldness is, uh, the Greek word for boldness is parousia. And here's the definition. It's freedom in speaking. It's unreservedness in speech, free, fearless confidence, cheerful courage, and assurance. So some words that I think of that are synonyms for the word boldness are things like unapologetic. You ever known somebody who's just unapologetically them? Like, they don't care who cares about them. They're like, this is me. You know somebody like that? This is kind of like what boldness is. It's unapologetically following Jesus. It's a zeal. It's a passion, unashamed, kind of like what Romans talks about, being unashamed for the gospel. It's, it's what Psalm 63 talks about, being ruined, being ruined. Like, there's nothing worth giving my life to, so why do I care about you thinking I'm bold when Jesus is worth it. So I'm gonna do it anyway. The word boldness in scripture, it's really interesting, it's actually only used 12 times in the Bible, which is not a whole lot for words to be used in the Bible. And in fact, it's only used a few times, like less than five times narratively, meaning like in a story. Two of those times are in the book of Acts, and one of those times is all the way in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 14, when the children of Israel are leaving Egypt. So what I want you to see uh, when we take into consideration the context of where this word boldness is used and where people are at in their life when they receive this boldness, when we take into that context and into consideration where, where people get it, it helps us to see that boldness is a lot like most things in God's kingdom, and that is upside down. It's different than the world's understanding of boldness. The context of boldness for every person that gets it in scripture is kind of ironic. Like, because I don't know if you think about this, but when I think of the word boldness, you know what I think of? I think of a big personality. 
I think of somebody who is like flashy and loud and charismatic and they don't care what you think about what they say, they're just gonna say it anyway. Some, some famous people that I think of that are worldly bold is, and I'm not saying they're good people or bad people, I'm just saying they're bold people in general, okay? So don't judge me. But I think of a guy like Kanye West. Would you say he's bold? <laughs> he's kind of bold, right? Like he just kind of lets it fly. Kanye West is, again, I'm not saying he's a good or bad person. I'm just saying he's bold. I think of a guy like, uh, and I don't, I personally don't like this guy, but I'm just gonna say Machine Gun Kelly. I think he's pretty bold. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, he's okay. Um, I think of a guy like, love him or hate him, Donald Trump is pretty bold. <laughs> Donald Trump is pretty bold. I think of a guy like, Elon Musk, Elon Musk is a pretty bold dude. He's like, yeah, I'm just gonna buy Twitter because you know, what the heck, I'm gonna buy it. When I, think of, when I think of bold people, when I think of the word bold, this is who I think of. I think of loud, big personalities, like this is just who they are. It's wired in their very DNA. It's just a part of who they are. But when we look at boldness biblically, it's not like that at all. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. Boldness is inherited, it's not inherent. Boldness is inherited, it's not inherent. What does inherent mean? It means it's in you. It's not in you. It's something you actually get. See, when you look at boldness in the Bible, you get a totally different picture of boldness. Boldness is always given to the people that you would least expect to have boldness. And if you aren't super familiar with the book of Acts and with what's happening in the book of Acts, let me just give you the Spark Notes version of what leads up into the book of Acts. Here's how it starts. Jesus dies on the cross. Oh, bummer. Oh, but Jesus rose from the grave. Say, what? No way. Okay, then Jesus spends 40 days walking around showing up to his disciples, showing up to his haters, letting everybody know that he conquered the grave. And everybody was like, uh-oh, watch out, Roman Empire. He about to take you down. <laughs> hey, where'd Jesus go? <laughs> Jesus? Hey, he's gone? That's how the book of Acts starts. Yeah. Like Jesus dies, is risen from the grave, and he's like, peace out. The head pastor of the first church leaves and gives the ministry to the kids' ministry. Was pretty much what happens. He's like, peace out. I got to go. You got this. You got this. And... This is not looking good. In fact, for the early church and for the disciples, they had everything going against them. They had the Roman Empire going against them. They had the Pharisees going against them. And they even had their own selves going against them. Like, I don't know if you remember the disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but they had a hard time practicing the way of Jesus when Jesus was with them. <laughs> so like, Jesus is gone now. Like, this ain't looking too good for the early church, except for the fact that boldness was not inherent in them. They got it from somebody. It was inherited. And what do I mean by it being inherent? I mean that it wasn't natural for them. It wasn't just in them, but something miraculous happens in the first chapter of the book of Acts, or sorry, the second chapter is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls. They're empowered with this power from on high, and specifically Peter 
goes from being this ragtag disciple who does everything wrong all the time to being the dude who his first altar call, he got 3,000 people saved. That's where Peter starts. And then we we continue to see Peter doing all of these things that just don't fit the resume that were given for him in the rest of the gospels. And so what happens in Acts chapter four is Peter and John are taken into custody because the Pharisees are tired of them talking about Jesus and they're trying to shut down the spreading of Christianity. But then the Holy Spirit comes again. He fills Peter up with power. Peter answers them with this question, this answer that like they can't even, they can't even do anything about because it was so bold and he knew the scriptures so well. And then look at what it says in verse 13. It says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. So the Pharisees, they see this boldness that's in Peter and John and they're freaking out because they're like, this doesn't make sense. Like these losers who were following Jesus, where did this boldness come from? Where did, this, where did they get this boldness? It doesn't make sense to me. In fact, David Guzik says this. It says, by all outward measures, Christianity, the movement of the followers of Jesus was very weak at this early point. They were few in numbers. They were inexperienced in leadership. They were, they were commanded not to fight back. They were not militant. And they were opposed by institutions that had existed for hundreds of years. And so Peter and John, in this moment, have absolutely nothing in the natural that is on their side. Everything is against them. And the Pharisees know that, except they see this boldness in them. And then it hits them. It hits them. I want to read you the next sentence of this passage. Look at this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. Here's why. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. The Pharisees are like, oh, oh, that makes sense. You've been with Jesus. That makes sense. That's where you got the boldness. That boldness that I see in them, that wasn't naturally in them. They got that from somebody else. They got that because they've been with Jesus. Jesus gave them the boldness that the Pharisees are seeing. I love what John Vernon McGee says. He says, unlearned and ignorant. That is, these men hadn't been to a theological seminary, but the Sanhedrin, that's talking about the Pharisees, the the Pharisees noted that they had been with Jesus. How wonderful to have a life that somehow or another calls attention to Jesus. Students, the boldness that naturally, there's a boldness that naturally comes to those who are being with Jesus. And I've got a question for you. If the Pharisees saw you and they questioned you, would their response to you and me be, oh, they've been with Jesus? Oh, that makes sense. That's where the boldness came from. It's because they've been with Jesus. You see, the danger of being a Christian in the Bible belt is the same danger that Pastor Sarah talked about in her message on longing during blocks. If you remember, she talked about this. She talked about how most Christians 
are, we're, we're good up here. We know the right stuff to believe. And maybe in our heart down here, we believe the right things. But if we're not careful, a lot of the times we don't take that heart and actually walk it out practically with Jesus. And what happens is this, there's a quote from Charles Spurgeon that I heard last year. And I wanna share it to you because it's like a quote that's like seared into my brain. I, I cannot stop thinking about this quote. Here's what he says. He says, let me ask you, how many atheists are in this house? Perhaps not a single one of you would accept the title. And yet, if you live from Monday morning to Saturday night in the same way you would, as if there were no God, you are a practical atheist. You are a practical atheist. Okay, that, that phrase right there, practical atheism, that phrase haunts me. Because what does practical atheism mean? It means you're a Christian and your beliefs, but when it comes to the practicalities of life, when it comes to real life, you just go with the flow. Nothing is different about the way you live your life to the way an atheist lives their life other than the fact that you go to church. Yikes, practical atheism. Now, why is it easy to fall into practical atheism? And I'll be the first to say that I've been a practical atheist before. I've been that person where I believe God right here, but I don't believe him in my actions. So why is it easy to become a practical atheist? Here's why. Because it doesn't require any boldness. It doesn't require any cost from you to be a practical atheist. When you choose to live a life with Jesus, though, what you're saying is, I want to live a life by faith. And guess what? Faith is not practical. Faith does not always make sense. Faith is not always easy. And if somebody told you faith was easy, they lied to you. <laughs> and they probably have never stepped out in faith before because stepping out in faith is scary. But listen to me, when you've been with Jesus, there's a boldness that naturally comes because you've discovered that he's better. Yeah. He's better, he's worth it. He's worth it. I don't have to walk the safe, wide road to death when Jesus offers me a better, narrow road to life. There's a better way to do life, but it costs you. It costs you your comfortability. It costs you choosing boldness. I heard a story about this old minister in the United Kingdom from the early 1900s. His name was George Mueller, and he was an evangelist and he also ran an orphanage and he cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. And he lived his life completely by faith. There are stories about this guy who was so bold and so easily uh, just sold out for Jesus. He trusted Jesus for everything, no matter what he faced. And there's a story that I came across this last week about the orphanage that he was running and they ran out of food and they had no money. And so the people that are working for him are like, George, what are we gonna do? There's no food, there's no money. These kids are gonna die. What are we gonna do? And George would just look at them and he'd say, the Lord will provide. Wow. And it was like the second that word had left his lips, they would hear a <laughs> at the orphanage and they would go open the door and it'd be a person with bags of groceries at the door. And they said, hey, we just felt led to give you these groceries to the orphanage. Here you go, God bless and the Lord provided. You see, George Mueller lived a life 
of faith. He walked in boldness, unapologetically for Jesus, unfazed by fear. And here's his secret to walking in that kind of boldness. He says this, the chief duty of the Christian is to make their heart glad in the Lord. Think about that. He didn't say the chief duty of a Christian is to be a good person. He didn't say the chief duty of a Christian is to show up at church every time the doors are open. No, he said the chief duty of a Christian is for you to love being with Jesus. Because he knew that when you love being with Jesus, you realize there's nothing better this world has to offer than Jesus. It's the same heart that's in Psalm 63 that says, I've seen you, I've beheld your glory, and I'm ruined, for there is none to compare. You see, the secret to living a life of boldness is recognizing that God is better than anything else this world can offer you. When you've been with Jesus long enough, there's a boldness that rises in you that naturally comes and you're able to do things that you naturally would never do. And so, yeah, it might be a little scary for you when Jesus asks you to pray for that person in public, but if you've been with Jesus long enough and you know he's better than what your heart, your heart posture is, is God, this makes me uncomfortable, but I know you're worth it, so I'm gonna do it. The boldness rises in you. Yeah, it's gonna be hard when you have to tell that person at school, this is why you don't drink or smoke or go to parties or sleep around. It's because you, you found Jesus and he's better. And yeah, you know what? They might treat you a little bit differently. Yeah, you might lose some popularity in school, but there's a boldness that rises in, when, in you when you realize it's worth it because yeah. Jesus told me to. Yeah. Jesus is better and I can walk in this boldness. Yeah. And you know, over, over the years, like I've personally grown a lot in my confidence. I've grown a lot in, in my giftings. Um, and I'll have people say to me sometimes, like after I preach a message, I'll, especially if I'm talking about like my struggle and my stories, I'll have people come up to me and say, man, I can't imagine you ever struggling with, with speaking on a platform that just, it doesn't line up. It doesn't make sense. And every time they say that to me, I'm like, thank you so much, but I want you to know it's not me. It's not me. I'm not saying I didn't have a part to play in it. Like, yeah, sure, there was some obedience involved. But what you're seeing is not the boldness that comes from Jackson Wilson. It's the boldness that I inherited. Jesus gave it to me. I got it from being with Jesus. I got it from early mornings in 2018 on a Sunday morning when I'm terrified to go to church because I got to speak in front of people. But you know what I did? I'm going to be with Jesus anyway. And even though everything in me is telling me to fear, and to walk in anxiety. I'm being with Jesus long enough that if he told me to do it, if he called me here, it's gonna work out. Yeah. I don't know how, but it's gonna work out and boldness would always follow. <laughs> Students, I want you to know, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your story is. I don't care what you think you are capable of. I don't care, there is a boldness that Jesus has for you. It is your inheritance in Christ Jesus. God has a boldness for you. And this is good news because guess what? I think Jesus is taking New Song students to some uncomfortable waters this year. The reason why this year is about with boldness is because we're going to need boldness. Like Jesus is gonna call some of you this year way outside of your comfort zones. Jesus is gonna call some of you way outside of what you thought you were capable of, way outside of what you had planned for your future, 
and you're going to need boldness. That's what this series is all about. And God is gonna give you that boldness, but it's not gonna be because you checked all the good Christian boxes and you made it to New Song students every Wednesday. It's gonna be because you've been with Jesus. Boldness is inherited, it's not inherent. And the next point is this, boldness is given to those resisting the status quo, not for those in it. And I'm gonna say that again. Boldness is given to those resisting the status quo, not for those in it. And I think this is pretty cool. I think you need to understand how absolutely punk rock this point is. Like, like think about it. Boldness from God is about rebelling against the status quo. Like, it doesn't get more punk rock than that. This is pretty sick, y'all. What is the status quo? This is the status quo. It's the existing state of affairs. What does that mean? It's just the way things are. My school, it's just lost, bro. People there are so bad. It's just the way it is. Like, I can't do anything about that. So I'm just gonna go with the flow. I'm gonna be a Christian, but I'm not, I'm not gonna make too much of a splash. I don't wanna bring too much attention to myself because I mean like, what difference can I make anyway? And so we go with the flow. Do you remember when I said that the other time that the word boldness was used was in, was in Exodus? I wanna read that to you. Exodus chapter 14. It's when the children are leaving Egypt and look at this. It says, and the Lord hardened the Pharaoh uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and, and he pursued the children of Israel. So they are in a scary moment. But look at this. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. I've never read that before until this week. The children of Israel went out of Egypt with boldness. That doesn't make sense to me. Look at what David Guzik says. The idea behind the word, the Hebrew word boldness, includes the idea of rebelling against authority. The rebellious nature of Israel was good when it was against Pharaoh and all that it stood for. It was bad when it was against the Lord and Moses and all they stood for. The trouble with most rebels is that they often rebel against the wrong things. Okay, so again, what I want you to see is how cool this word is. This word is so hardcore, punk rock, bad to the bone. Boldness carries this idea of rebelling against society, rebelling against the status quo. The children of Israel are the first hipsters in all of history. Like they started hipsters, like they did it first. There's this idea, there's this idea in the world that if you become a Christian, your life is going to be boring that it's gonna be boring. It's gonna be so much harder to live for Jesus than to be able to choose whatever you wanna do. Like, don't you think you're gonna miss out on what the world has to offer? Don't you wanna be different? Don't you wanna rebel a little bit? But I'm here to tell you tonight that there's nothing better than rebelling against the status quo of the broken world that we live in. And there's a boldness that God has for those of you who are willing to step out of the status quo of our fallen world. Do you wanna know what the status quo of our world is? Let me give it to you. Here's what the status quo of the fallen world is. This is our normal, broken hearts, being lost, bondage, depression, bitterness, generational trauma, racism, hatred, like this is the way things are in the world. And you as a believer have the ability 
to resist that status quo. Christians, though, almost always what we do is we get in the flow of just walking with the status quo. We're not, a, we're not for it. We're definitely against those things, but we don't think we can make too much of a difference, so we just don't do anything about it. We just go with the flow of the status quo. But when you find yourself in a place where when you see the status quo of the broken world that we live in and you're done with it and you want to resist it, God gives you that kind of boldness. And so I just wanna ask you, New Song students, are you a person who wants to be different? Do you wanna be different? Then resist the status quo of the world because that is exactly what most people are not doing. And when you do that, God blesses you with boldness. In fact, we saw this happen on national television this last week. Uh, There was this guy named Damar Hamlin and he was a part of the Buffalo Bills, and he got hit catastrophically in the middle of a football game. And the very next day on ESPN, this commentator named Dan Orsky, Orlovsky, he's on national TV, live television, ESPN. He's at a loss for words, doesn't know what to say, and so he just prays. Like, who does that? Who does that on national TV? And I want you to know, he was probably terrified before he prayed that prayer. I bet you he was so scared, but he did it anyway. And there's this quote that I found from another commentator who was an atheist. And here's what he says he was feeling in that moment when Dan prayed that prayer on national television. He said, it made me a little envious at that moment. And since then, it made me a little envious in that moment that I didn't have that kind of foundation as an atheist of some sort of higher power or something. Because in the face of that inexplicable, inexplainable tragedy, I'm kind of just flailing. Basically what he's saying in that moment, this guy who's an atheist, is he's like, man, I wish I was bold like that. Yeah. I see that that guy, Dan, has something that I don't have. Because in that moment when I don't know what to say, I have nothing to offer, but he had prayer to offer. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the boldness that Jesus wants to give us. If you're a person who's tired of the status quo, which I'll tell you what, the status quo is not praying for somebody in public. But if you're tired of seeing this broken world, God has a boldness for you. If you're a person who is with Jesus, there's a boldness for you. And the last thing I wanna invite the band to come up as we get ready to close, boldness. Point number three, boldness changes the world. I'm telling you, boldness changes the world. And sometimes the world can feel so lost, like people can feel so broken and so far from God that it feels like, man, what difference can I really make as a student? Like, can I really make that much of a difference? But if we look at that picture biblically, What we see all throughout the Bible happen is God taking the very people who have no influence, giving them influence, and them turning the entire world upside down. He did it with the early church, and guess what? The Roman Empire doesn't exist anymore, but you know what does exist? The Church of Jesus Christ. Like, think about that. The Roman Empire doesn't even exist anymore, but you know what existed now today? Is the the, the thing that those disciples started in Acts chapter 2 the church still exists. So how do we do that? How do we make that change? Well, it starts with just a few people. 
It starts with just a few people who are tired of seeing the brokenness in their world, who know Jesus and know what they carry inside of them. And it's kind of like this. It reminds me of uh, this quote that Cassian Andor says in Rogue One. Rogue One is, I think in my humble opinion, the best Star Wars movie that was ever made. Thank you, thank you. Uh, it's amazing. And there's a scene, there's a scene in Rogue One, it's so epic, where Cassian Andor is talking to a small group. Shh, I want you to listen in with me, listen in with me. Hold on, we're not done yet. Cassian Andor, he's looking at this small group of resistance fighters. They're on this planet, uh, there's only a few of them and they're about to ambush an entire first order base. And he says this quote to this tiny team of resistance fire. He says, make 10 men feel like a hundred. Make 10 men feel like a hundred. And I love that because that's exactly how revival starts. It starts with just a spark. It starts with just a few people who are tired of seeing the broken world go to hell in a handbasket. And it starts with just a few students who are tired of seeing the status quo take over the world that they live in. And you know what, that really encourages me because I know we've got a handful of students in this room right now who have this kind of heart. In fact, as we get ready to close, I wanted to read something to you. I got a letter from one of our students last week, Ella Johnson. I wanted to read this. Uh, is that cool if I read this? I'm just gonna read a section of it. Ella sent me the most amazing letter I've probably ever received in my entire life. And it was amazing. It blessed my socks off. Um, but I wanted to read to you this part of her letter, not to show her off, even though she is amazing, but to show, I know this, her heart is the same heart that is in a lot of you here tonight. And this is the kind of heart that God sees and he says, yeah, I can use that. This is what she said to me. She said, Jackson, I wanna take action. I've got a burden for the lost, so I'm praying for the lost. God is giving me words for messages I don't know when I will preach. I want to be an example to adults on mission trips. I want to bring the youth together as a family and as a fellowship even more this year. I'm ready for all of it. I'm ready for my whole school to hate me. I'm ready for people to be healed. I'm ready for people to come home to God. Me too, Ella. Me too, for real. Me too. And Ella is not the only one. New Song students, this is the kind of boldness that we need to turn our world upside down. And it exists in this room. And that's why I'm so excited about this year because if we can get just a few people with that kind of heart, dude, I'm telling you, Edmond, Oklahoma City, they do not know what's coming for them in Christ Jesus. People who will say, man, I don't care who hates me. I'm living for Jesus no matter what. And so New Song students, my challenge to us as we get ready to kick off this year with boldness, here's my challenge to us. Let's make 10 students feel like 10,000. Let's make 10 students feel like 10,000. Let's make Jesus the main focus this year. Let's resist the status quo. Let's change the world, amen. Let's change the world this year. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me?